Lord, the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I will be reading from Acts chapter 5, verses 41 and 42. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming that the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, I think I had to follow him last time I was up here, too. No wonder they asked me back for this one. All right. Well, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Uh, it's time for Children's Bible Hour and Toddle Time. And all those kids be, can be dismissed during these back doors. Head to that back room. Everybody knows where it is. If not, follow the crowd. You'll find it. Let's stand up and sing. How great is our God. Please be seated. Most of us are people of routine. We keep our schedules, we do our jobs, we stay in our own lanes. But sometimes our routines become ruts and we miss God. It takes something big, something extraordinary to get our attention, to wake us up, to make us see beyond ourselves and notice what God is up to. In the book of Acts, we see God do just that, something big and extraordinary. He established and unleashed the church. With just a handful of emboldened eyewitnesses and a story of good news, God forever changed the world. He did more than anyone could have imagined, and he still does today. So don't miss it. Let's open our eyes and see God do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Acts chapter 5. If you have a Bible or a device, open it up to Acts chapter 5. If you're like me, you like to have it in front of you. Of course, we'll have some of the scriptures on the screen, but we won't cover the whole chapter, so it's nice sometimes to to see some of the other details. So Acts chapter 5 will be our text today as we continue in our series, Immeasurably More. We have been praying a very simple prayer throughout this series. I hope that you've been praying it. Here's the prayer. God, help us dare to imagine what you can do, what you might do, what you possibly will do in this world, in our lives, around us, and then give us the faith to see when you do it. As Jim said earlier, it is an awareness, a consciousness of what God is doing in the world, what God is doing in our lives. It's opening our eyes to who he is and what he's up to. It's an important prayer that we need to pray. You see, I think sometimes we approach the providence of God, the, the activity of God, the work of God in our world, kind of like we do Wi-Fi. You know, we all like Wi-Fi. It's important to have Wi-Fi. On Maslow's hierarchy of needs, someone has added it to the bottom of the pyramid as a basic need for humankind. I don't know about that, but when we go into a building, we just assume they have Wi-Fi. We just know it's working in the background, and it's helping us. And it never really comes to our attention until we have to log in or until there's something that goes wrong. And then all of a sudden, we're aware of it. Isn't that how we view God sometimes? Isn't that how we view God's work in the world? We, we know that he's sort of working in the background. We sort of take that for granted. And we, we are thankful he's, he's there because we need him there. But we really don't think much about it until we have to log in. And that is through prayer occasionally. Probably not as much as we should. 
or if something goes terribly wrong. And then all of a sudden we are aware of what God is doing and more likely of what we think he should be doing and is not doing. And so I I hope that you can maybe shift. Let me invite you to a shift of mindset, moving God from the background to the foreground. Not just taking for granted that God is somewhere in this world, floating in the clouds, making sure things are sort of going like he planned, but that God is actively working in your life, in your circumstances, in your world. And we struggle with that because not everything that happens in our lives, in our circumstances, in our world is what we want. It's not good. You might even say some of these things are evil, and the truth is we live in a fallen world. But that doesn't dismiss God from our world because God is working to restore this world. And one day, ultimately, all things will be made new. But we aren't just waiting for that day. We are a part of what God is doing right now to bring newness and redemption and restoration to this world. And God is at work in our world. That's not the question. The question is, do you recognize it? Do you see it? Are you a part of it? Probably one of the ways that most of us would say God works in our world is by opening doors of opportunity. When has God opened a door for you? I'm sure you can look back on your life and you can see that God has opened doors in your life. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen God literally open a door, a pathway that changes the course of your life? maybe changes the trajectory of your life, that he cleared a path, that he changed your circumstances, that he called you to something different. As someone has said, the the explanation of God opening doors is easier when you look back than the experience of it in the moment. As Jim mentioned just a minute ago, we can look back sometimes and see God's fingerprints a little more clearly than we can in the moment. And if you're like me, you can probably look back and you can say, yep, boy, God opened that door. I wasn't expecting it, but I'm so thankful he did. Or maybe God opened a door and you know what? I didn't go through it. I should have. I knew it was there from God, but I, I didn't, whatever reason, I didn't go through it. I mean, I think in my own life, I can see God opening doors. How I got into full-time ministry, it was God opening a series of doors, doors that I was not even knocking on. Maybe you can see the same. But when we think about God opening doors in our lives, so often we think about personal gain. God opened this door for me to make more money or to be happy or to to have this person in my life for my good and my pleasure and my enjoyment. But when you look at the New Testament and you see God opening doors, It wasn't to fulfill someone's personal agenda. He opened doors to advance his kingdom in this world. He opened doors so the gospel, the good news of Jesus, could be proclaimed. He opened doors so that people could see and understand and experience the love and mercy and truth of Jesus and be called into fellowship with him. That's why God opens doors. That's certainly why he did it in the scripture, and I think that's why he still does it today. One example is in Acts chapter 5. God literally opens a door. 
he opens that door for a very specific purpose. So I want us to see the purpose, and I want us to see how God did it and what it means. Back up a little bit, set the scene. Peter and John and the other apostles are spreading the word about Jesus. The text says they are telling people everything that they have seen and heard. Well, what have they seen and heard? Well, they have seen a life lived in front of them, a life like no other. They have seen a death died for the sake of others. And they have seen a resurrection. They have witnessed a resurrection that was otherworldly. How could they not tell other people about what they had seen and heard? And not just reporting the facts. You won't believe what happened with this guy named Jesus. No. But explaining the significance the meaning, the transformation that those historical facts bring about. The truth of those things happening means something. They couldn't help but to tell people all that they had seen and heard. And as they are preaching and teaching and doing signs and wonders in the name of Jesus, people are being drawn in. You see, a message of good news is something the world always needs to hear. We certainly think that in our day. It was no different then. People longed for good news. And so people responded to the good news. Verse 14 of chapter 5, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. This thing was growing. It was gaining momentum like a powerful wind. The Holy Spirit was blowing through this part of the world and the landscape would never be the same. It would be forever changed. But as Newton's law reminds us, for every action, there is what? An equal and opposite reaction. So there was an opposite reaction to the rapid growth of the church. Just as the way of Jesus gained momentum, so did opposition to Jesus and the way. Jewish leaders felt threatened. They felt threatened by the message. They felt threatened by the power. They felt threatened, most of all, by the crowds, the people who were coming to Jesus. And the text says that they suffered from that illness, that plague that hit so many of us. They were jealous. They were jealous. And they wanted to do something about it. So after several warnings to silence the apostles, finally the high priest steps in and he says, I'm going to put a stop to this once and for all. If they won't stop talking, I will stop them. And so he has the apostles arrested and thrown into jail. That should take care of it. They're in jail behind closed doors, silenced forever, right? Not even close. Verse 19 of chapter 5. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. It's an interesting way to word it, about this new life. Did you see what happened? God is working. It's visible. It's tangible. God is showing up and doing something significant. It's like God is telling Satan, there is no way you can confine my messengers, and there is absolutely no way you can contain my message. He sends an angel to open the doors of the jail to send the apostles on on their way. And the angel gives them specific instructions. 
He didn't say, there you go, boys, now run along and stay out of trouble. He didn't lead them back home. He didn't send them to safer lands and greener pastures. You know, people sometimes say, well, God closes one door, he opens another door. Well, not this time. He opened the same door that Satan tried to shut. The angel told these guys, go back to the temple courts and go back to preaching the good news. Specifically, he said, tell people about this new life. He didn't say, tell them about Jesus, although new life is found in Jesus. He didn't say, go tell them the gospel, although the gospel is the message of new life. He uses those words, tell them of this new life. And it's not just new life in the sense of a new set of guidelines to live by. Certainly it is that, but it is so much more. It is a new existence, a new way of being, living under the reign and the rule of King Jesus. You go back and you tell them about the life they can have in Jesus. It's interesting, basically what God says is go back to the very place and do the very thing that got you into trouble. <laughs> How many of us would have said, God, come on now. We, we did that, been there, done that. That didn't turn out so well. We ended up in jail. Let's go somewhere else. Let's go where, where people will listen without opposition, without persecution. We would have reasoned. We would have recommended a different plan, but not these guys. You see, some of God's open doors lead to uncertainty, and some of God's open doors lead to adversity. That's just the nature of God, how he works in our world. And that's confusing to us. Why would God open a door in my life that led to something unpleasant? Well, one of the reasons is because, unlike me, unlike you probably, My well-being, your well-being, your happiness, my happiness, those things aren't necessarily at the top of God's priority list. Although we think they should be. And if history tells us anything, it's that sometimes pain becomes the greatest platform for proclaiming the gospel and advancing the kingdom. Remember the word in the New Testament for witness is the same word for martyr. Some of God's open doors lead to difficulty, to pain, to uncertainty. Back to the story. The apostles did as they were instructed. They went back to the temple courts the next morning and they were telling people about Jesus, about this new life that Jesus offered. Somehow they had managed to escape and be there without really falling on anyone's radar. And so while they are in the temple courts, the ruling court of the Jews convened to address this problem once and for all, to silence these apostles, these followers of Jesus. And so they send for the apostles to bring them in front of the Sanhedrin, and the officials go to the jail to retrieve them. And what's the problem? They aren't there. It's empty. So they report back, verse 23, we found the jail securely locked with a guard standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. (laughs) 
what this might lead to. Uh, someone losing their job, an awkward press conference, someone has some explaining to do, probably led to a lot of things. And about that time, someone speaks up, hey, we found them. We found those guys. They're back in the temple courts. And they're still talking about Jesus. And so somehow, without causing a scene, without inciting a riot, the Jewish officials managed to escort the apostles back in front of this ruling court, the Sanhedrin. Why didn't they run? Why didn't they do something? Why didn't they put up resistance? My guess is, after what they had just experienced, an angel opening the door of the jail, they probably thought, hey, we'll do, you know, we'll do whatever because we are confident God's got our back. It's going to be all right. And so they go with the officials in front of the Sanhedrin and they get, they get reprimanded. Verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Did you notice they can't even speak the name of Jesus? The chief priest doesn't even use Jesus' name. He says, you're teaching in this name. You're trying to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. You don't get to order our lives. You don't get to tell us what to do. There is one who has authority over us. And it's not you, it is the God of heaven and earth. God is the one that opened doors that you thought were shut. So we are going to obey him. We're going to go with God. And then Peter doubles down on the message of the cross and the resurrection. You killed him, but God raised him. And now through that death and through that resurrection, you have an opportunity for new life. Even you, everyone, the very people who killed Jesus, forgiveness can be found, salvation can be found, new life can be yours in Jesus. Well, when they stood to sing, no one came forward. Actually, they ran forward because they were mad at the apostles. They'd had enough. They were infuriated. And they wanted to put a stop to this. And not just put these guys in jail, but this time put them to death. To forever silence their witness. But one Pharisee named Gamaliel, who is also the one who trained Paul when he was Saul and still breathing out murderous threats against the church, stood up and he said, now wait a second guys, hold on, settle down, we've seen this before. We've had other movements. We've had other would-be messiahs come along. And whatever happens, someone kills him. The thing just kind of fizzles. It all goes away. So let's just let this thing play out. Let's just see what happens. Let's not get too worked up or work up the people. Let's just lay low and watch. And then he says this, verse 38. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. You know, sometimes we can find truth in the most unexpected places. 
Sometimes truth is spoken or seen or experienced even when we're not expecting it from a source that seems to be far from truth. That's what happens here. There's never been a truer statement than what this Pharisee spoke. What did he say? He said, if something is from God, you're not stopping it. No one's stopping it. If God opens a door, it's not going to be closed by mere mortals. If God wants something to happen, you aren't going to stand in the way. If God is at work in this world, who do you think you are to obstruct the will and the work of God? So true. So the Jewish officials take a deep breath. They settle down and they agree to let things play out. Well, we know how things played out, don't we? We know that this wasn't from human origin, that it didn't just go away, that it didn't fail, that it's still going strong even today. And so this is how this part of the narrative ends in verse 40. They called the apostles in and they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. (laughs) They were defiant, wholly defiant in the instructions given to them by man. Because remember what they said, we have to obey God, not humans. We know we just sort of read over it, maybe a glancing blow, maybe you noticed it, but did you see what happened to these messengers of Christ? They were flogged. The apostles were flogged. That doesn't mean that they were lectured or that they got a slap on the wrist. It means very likely that their bare backs and maybe even their chests met the business end of whips, probably fashioned with broken pieces of pottery or shards of glass meant to do damage. Their flesh was torn because they spoke about Jesus. This is shocking to us. We don't even have a place to put that information. It's so foreign to our culture, to our day and our time. And this is shocking for many reasons, but I think the main reason it's shocking is because we live by a different rule. You see, we have a simple formula for Christianity. And it goes something like this. Obedience equals blessing. Obedience equals blessing. If I am faithful to God, if I do my best to serve God, if I try to emphasize Christian values in my home, then God is going to take care of me physically. God's going to provide for me materially. God is going to make my path straight in the sense of not too much discomfort, not too much pain, not too much suffering. And we would probably never admit that, and we certainly wouldn't say that we have a sense of entitlement when it comes to God, but many of us live under a theology of privilege. We think God owes it. God owes it to us to take care of us, the way we define taking care of us. 
And so this idea of being beaten, being flogged, being hurt physically for speaking the name of Jesus, that is so beyond our reasoning. You see, we want the crown without the cross. But the New Testament, Jesus, shows us a different way. Jesus said, to follow me, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross. And you must follow the man of sorrows. You see, obedience may, in fact, lead to a life of physical blessing, material blessing. But it also may lead to something far different. A life of sacrifice, a life maybe even of suffering. You say, well, that's, I understand that for missionaries over there, but, but not for us. Not for us, not in this country that was built on Christian values. No. Are you sure we don't live under a theology of privilege? Are you sure we're not entitled when it comes to our view of God? these people were beaten because they spoke the name of Jesus. And after they were beaten, were they bitter? Were they mad? Did they say, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. I can't believe God allowed this to happen. God could have stepped in. He could have kept us from being flogged, from being beaten. Look back. Look back at your Bible. What did they do? They left their rejoicing. What is wrong with them? They left their rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name. The name that they were proclaiming, the name by which they were doing these signs and wonders, the name that the chief priest couldn't even say, the name that, of course, is above every name, the name of Jesus they embrace suffering as a sign of forgiveness and as a symbol of their shared identity with their own suffering Savior. And it didn't stop them at all, did it? <laughs> no sooner had they left the Sanhedrin than they go straight back to the temple courts, straight back to people's homes, and what do they do? They preach, they teach, they share the good news of Jesus. Every day, the text says, so as we begin to apply this to our own lives, let me ask you a question. Where is God opening a door for you? Are your eyes open enough to see when God is opening a door? Where is that? What does it look like? I mean, think about how many literal doors we go through every day. Dozens, maybe more than that, maybe hundreds, I don't know. Before you are sitting where you are right now, think about how many doors you went through probably went through a bedroom door, bathroom door, maybe a bedroom door again, your front door or a garage door, a vehicle door. Then you got out of that vehicle when you got here. You walked in one of our many entrances. Maybe you went to class. You went through a doorway there. You went out of that doorway. You went in one of these doors. And then in just a few minutes, you're going to leave out of one of these doors and then another door. And then you maybe you're going to get in a car. You're going to go home and enter another door or a restaurant, enter another door, all these doors. How many? I have no idea, right? Who takes inventory of how many doors I walk through every day? No one. Unless now you heard me say that and you're OCD and you're like, I gotta start counting. I'm gonna start counting the doors. I can't help it, I've got to. I've got to. 
Every day we walk through doors that are mundane, that are ordinary, that do not get our attention. They're just a passageway to the next thing. But there's also those big doors, aren't there? Those significant doors. That door that the bride walks through on her wedding day to join her soon-to-be husband in front of family and friends to begin a life together in marriage. That's a big door. It always swings open and everybody looks back. Or what about those hospital doors that, that you walk out of with that new life, that new baby entering the big, scary world, and you're so excited, but you're also scared to death, and you walk through that door, and you know nothing is going to be the same. That's a big door. Or what about the door to the conference room or the, the office, and you know waiting on the other side is, is that employer or that business or that company or that committee and they're going to interview you, and this is your opportunity. And if you get the job, or you get the promotion, or if they say yes, it's going to change your life forever. That is a big door. Or maybe a different hospital door. And this time, you're not going out of that door with a new life. You're going into that door to say goodbye to a life, a life that you love that's a big door there are some big doors in life there are some seemingly small doors in life where is God opening a door for you maybe it's one of those mundane ordinary doors maybe it's the door to a conversation or an invitation maybe it's a door into an act of kindness an opportunity to express love Maybe it's a doorway into speaking truth. Maybe it's a doorway into drawing someone in to the kingdom. Maybe it's a word, maybe it's a conversation, maybe it's an act of kindness. It's those little doors that we walk through every day and we miss sometimes and we don't take inventory of them and we just go on our way. Or maybe it's a big door. Maybe it's a career change a change of vocation, something different where you can use your giftedness to really make a difference in the world. Or maybe it's a doorway to a new ministry and, and discovering new gifts and new interests in ways that bless the kingdom, part of something that God is doing and bringing about good fruit. Maybe it's a doorway to a new relationship or new set of friends, big doors that God opens up. Again, the door may not necessarily be a door to happiness or material abundance or great personal satisfaction, but maybe it's a door to share the good news of Jesus, to advance the kingdom of God, to be used by God to have a real impact, an eternal impact on the world around you, to be a part of God drawing people to himself to be a part of his restorative work in our world, making things new. God uses, or Paul uses, the language about God throughout his letters. Read the New Testament. He uses this idea of open doors time and time again. And every time Paul uses the analogy of an open door, it's about something so much bigger than himself, so much bigger than his own agenda. One example is in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, 
that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul is saying, pray that God would open a pathway to proclaim the message of Jesus. Symbolically open a door, but maybe a part of Paul is also saying, literally, God, would you open this door? Because remember where Paul is, he is in chains. And he knows God can swing open prison doors. So here's the thing. God will open a door, but it's on you to walk through it. All the doors that God opens, small, big, significant, or mundane, it's up to you to step through them faithfully. The apostles that day walked through that door, even though that door led them to a place of persecution and opposition and ultimately meant giving up their own lives. Why would they do that? Did they not know? Of course they knew. Why would they go through that doorway? Why would they step faithfully through that open door? Because remember what they said? We must obey God, not human beings. Because God is real. Because we saw with our own eyes Jesus and what he did and what God did through him. And we're going to be a part of what God is doing in this world. Of course we're going to step through that doorway. I haven't seen the movie. It's several years old now. It's called Sliding Doors. And and this is in no way an endorsement of the movie. Like I said, I haven't seen it. But the premise has always intrigued me, and I'm sure it has you too, even though maybe you haven't heard of this movie. You see, the premise is this. Our decisions shape our destinies. How many times have you looked back on your own life and thought, man, if I'd have chosen this instead of that, how would my life be different? If I'd have gone to college here and not there, if I'd have gone to college, or if I hadn't gone to college, or I hadn't dated this person, or I hadn't gotten to that car, or I hadn't married this person, and your mind just starts racing through all these scenarios. Well, that's the story of the movie. The movie has two tracks, two narratives, and it follows the main character, two paths of life that are far different based on whether or not she got on this train, this specific train at a specific point in time. Whether or not she got on that train made all the difference. Whether or not she stepped through those sliding doors made all the difference in her life. As God opens doors for you, maybe whether or not you go through that door will make all the difference. Maybe in your life. Maybe in someone else's life. Maybe not just in their life here and now, but maybe in their eternity. In your eternity. Will you step faithfully through the doors that God opens? We want to encourage you. We want to be a church family that lifts each other up. So today, if we can support you, pray for you, if you need to confess sin, if you need support, let us do that as your church family. In just a moment, a couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor, a room off the hallway behind the stage area. You can exit out in the back doors and go there, and that's a door that you will not regret going through because you will be received by caring people there who will pray for you and encourage you. Or, of course, you can come down to the front today. Maybe today you're ready to make that commitment to surrender your life to the one who gave his life for you. That is a door of opportunity that God is opening up to you. Do not let it close. Do not walk past it.
confess your faith that Jesus is real, that he's the son of God, that he lived and died and was raised and be baptized into Christ, clothed with Christ. Live the life you were created to live. If there's something we can do today, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus to reach out 